0: A happy New Year to you all, and uh, it's so good to worship together. Um, 2019, doesn't that sound like uh, some date in the future, right? I'm still thinking about uh party like it's 1999 or whatever it was I remember listening to in uh, high school, and uh, that seemed like it was so far away. But anyways, it's so good to worship with all of you. And... um You know, uh, New Year's is a time we often make uh, resolutions and we try to do things that are important, right? Um, I want to work out more or, um, you know, save more money, spend more time with important people in my life. Um, And obviously there are spiritual things. I want to go to church. I want to read the Bible more, um, things like that. And today I want us as a church those are all important things, but I want us to do something but it's to go and love someone else, to go and love someone and remember that every soul really matters, to go love that one person who is outside of our normal circle, our, fan, our family and friends, our favorites, just that one person that's outside. And we as a church want to go and do that because this is the heart of God. You know, um, I don't know what... Uh, would bring you joy, but it's interesting because the Bible here, you know, has this story about God telling these stories about God rejoicing over one who comes to Him. He rejoices over one who comes, and I don't know what we would rejoice over. You know, there was a story that I read in the paper. Um, this happened early last year. A 53-year-old man named Jeff Murphy from New Mexico had passed away. He had died in an accident in the Rocky Mountains. He had fallen from a, an area kind of high up and he, uh, he was walking and he fell and he passed away. And so you know, that happens here and there. But why he was there is pretty interesting. He was there because he was looking for a treasure chest. Uh, there was a There still is a a New Mexico millionaire, an antiques dealer named Forrest Fenn, who was what, 86 then, 87, I guess this year. And he had written in 2010 a memoir, and he claimed in his memoir at the end that he had put a treasure chest filled with gold and jewels worth about $2 million today, and he put it about somewhere around the elevation of 5,000 feet, and he put it there, and he says whoever finds it gets to have it. And he said it was somewhere between, in the Rocky Mountains, uh, in the border of uh, Canada and New Mexico. And he says, go and Whoever you know, gets it gets to have it. So this man from New Mexico, uh, Jeff Murphy, had driven his car to Yellowstone National Park and, uh, from his home, in, um, actually from Illinois. And he came to seek this. And when they had found him, his wife knew exactly why. He he was going to look for this treasure. And he didn't find it. He was the fourth person that had actually lost their lives looking for this treasure chest. Now, some of you are already like um, Googling, okay, all right, where should I go, right? Uh, Let's go this summer, right? Um, Literally, people were risking their lives for this treasure chest. Two million dollars was worth them risking their lives. It was going to bring them some kind of joy. And you think about it, I'm going to ask you that, what brings you this joy? And when we look to our Heavenly Father, and if we say, boy, if He is joyful, and when we love someone, right, we, we experience this through our family, our spouse, our kids, our, our friends. When they do well, when they rejoice, we rejoice. Right. When I remember when we had uh, Chris as a baby and her favorite thing was, I remember for a little bit, like when she was barely sitting up, was when I would tear paper in front of her, she would just laugh. I don't know why. And so I tore up everything in our house, like in front of her because it brought me joy. Right. It brought my I remember my mom was there. She was this was the best time in memory that one of the things that we had, we were just tearing everything. All right. Go bring the Kleenex tore it up. Uh, paper towel. We kept tearing and she was giggling. And we were giggling. So there's this idea that when someone is important to me, what they rejoice over brings us much joy. And here we see the story Jesus tells about the parable of the um, of the shepherd who goes after the one. 99 is left behind. He goes after the one. And what does that look like? He tells this story. And, and Luke 15 is a... Is a gem in the Bible, right? Because it ends, it's this whole series of three parables and it ends with the parable of the prodigal son about the father rejoicing over the son who was lost and now is found. But he starts and he paints different scenarios. But he's telling this to, this, two groups of people are there. You have the Pharisees, those who feel like they have it all together, and then you had the clean, ceremony unclean, And not only them, but the tax collectors. And so they were coming to Christ. At the end of chapter 14, he says, all who wants to hear, come draw near. And they're coming to hear Christ. And as they're gathering, the Pharisees, you see here in verse 1 of our text, says um, that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees, verse 2, and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This was an accusation. How can he eat with them? You know, it's interesting because in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 34, Christ is also accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he spends so much time eating and drinking with the sinners and tax collectors. You now, how could he do that? And for some of us, if we think about that, this, this already bothers us a little bit. The image we have of Christ is someone who is holy, unblemished, and someone who might speak just in these words, but that he would sit and eat and drink with these people. Some of you, if you, you know, picture that, you say, oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't want that. But that was the picture that was there. And so the Pharisees had an issue with this. And so Jesus now tells them a story. And he tells them a story about a um, a shepherd. None of us own sheep here. I don't think none of us really grew up uh, raising sheep. But what would happen in the day, and this is very common, is um, in a little town or uh, in a little town, each household would own something like ten to fifteen sheep. They'd have a little pen, and they would have the sheep, and they would, you know, have it, and this was their source of income and so on. But what they would do is these families would pull their money together and they would hire shepherds to go and take all the sheep out during the day to go graze. Go out there. You know, make a mess out there. Go eat all the stuff that's out there. And they would graze all day long, and then the hired shepherds would then bring the sheep back, and they would drop them off, 15 here, uh, you know, 10 here, 12 here, and they would drop them back off to their homes. And the successful shepherd would take them out and bring them back home. And the person that hired them would wait and say, well, okay, there is so-and-so, and and there is so-and-so, okay. And they would know their sheep. And this was what would happen. And so when one gets lost, the shepherd's uh, goal that day is to bring them back. Imagine our, our youth group went to retreat, right? Imagine one of them is still at Fallbrook in the house. We forgot the one quiet guy, you know. He's still there. He's still sleeping, you know. Jean's like, oh, whatever, we gotta go, you know. I gotta go. <laughs> Imagine if that happened. Imagine if he was there and he texted someone. Someone here would, you know, be running over, right? I think, right? At least mom or dad might. Maybe not, I don't know, right? But this is a picture of the shepherd. And it tells us here, the shepherd obviously is speaking of Christ, his relation with those who are on the fringe, who are on the outside, And he says this, that he seeks the ones who are lost, right? Uh, He carries them back. And these are the things that the shepherd does in the story. These three things. He seeks them, he carries them, and he rejoices. And these are little details, but we want to just dig into it a little bit today. First is, he seeks the one that was lost. It tells us in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Sheep, um, if they get lost, or if they were afraid, or if they went the wrong way, sometimes they would just keep going. There's a story that was in the news of uh, 400 sheep that had perished in 2005. And this was in the eastern part of Turkey. And what had happened was, literally the shepherds made a mistake and they took a lunch break at all together at the same time. They were supposed to take shifts and they all took a break together, one sheep decided to start walking towards this cliff. And the cliff wasn't that uh, big, but it was about 20 feet, 25 feet drop, and just walked over. Before he knew, all 1,500 sheep just started going this way. And they all started walking over the edge. Oh, I wonder what, uh, you know, uh, Fluffy's doing, you know, and then they fall over. What's he doing? And then they all started... 400 sheep died, and their bodies piled up so high that the rest 1,000 were just sitting there on their dead friends saying, hey, what are we doing? What are we doing? I don't know. What are we doing? And this is kind of what sheep do. That's why he goes after them. That's why the shepherd says, I have to go after them. It's interesting. You know, Psalm 23 that we know so well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not... I shall lack nothing, right, and so on. At the end of it, uh, these words, goodness and mercy, will follow me. These are descriptions, but they're personified. They're here to describe the shepherd. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So you have this, this is what's happening here. The, the, The good shepherd, God has been following us. Goodness and mercy is following us, and then he now brings us back, to our Father's house, ultimately. So 2018, every morning you woke up. Every day you were getting ready to go to school and work and so what, God has been there following. And he goes after the one. You know, I remember um, the church that I served at before we planted Crossway, right? And I remember my first uh, couple weeks there. And this is at Sarang Church in Anaheim. And I got called to be the EM, English ministry uh, pastor there. This is, uh, gosh, you know, 16 years ago, something like that. Uh, And I remember one of my first Sundays, uh, one of the uh, church members came up and approached me. He says, Pastor, I really need you to come and um, share the gospel with my um, dying father. And, um, you know, I'd barely gotten to know anyone at the church. And so that night, I remember going to his house, and he was telling me about his dad. His dad was in his late 80s. He was in the military in the U.S. He was a uh, kind of a manly man, if you could say. A man of few words, a difficult man. But he is now on his last few months before he, you uh, know, a few days, really, before he passed away. He could barely talk, but he hadn't believed. And he said, maybe if you, the professional, you know, if you come, maybe he'll listen. And so I remember uh, being a little bit scared to go, right? Like, geez, you know. Um, and I remember going to their house, and I met this uh, elderly man. He was in, uh, in bed, and he couldn't talk. And, and so he, I asked him to just respond by nodding his head with yes, I didn't even give him the option to say no, I think, you know, like I just said, just, just say yes, please. Um, and he went along and I asked him and I shared the gospel with him. I said, do you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? You go to heaven, be with him. And he was nodding yes. And uh, I remember just a few weeks after that, he passed away and I officiated his funeral. But, you know, that, I think that is a picture really of God was chasing someone down. God was chasing someone down until his last days, and somehow at the end, he brought this young 30-some-year-old pastor to come and share the gospel with him, and that closed the deal, right? It was God chasing him down. And this idea of God following the sheep all the way, there are terms today that uh, theologians use about this idea of God being the missionary God, God who goes to the nations. He sent his Christ to us. He comes here to earth. And so there's this picture, not of God who is just in heaven and us just trying to go to him, but he comes to us. And what a wonderful picture that is, that he is a missionary God, a God who comes to us, a God who chases down the sheep. Not only does he chase down the sheep, there's a little detail here we often overlook, but it says in verse five, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing you can imagine him tying the back legs together, tying the front legs together, holding the sheep on his shoulders this way and making his way back up the terrain. Now, the sheep is not a a cuddly, small animal. It's not like even our dogs. You know, my dog is like eight pounds. Um, You know, it's not like just carrying a puppy. 70, 80 pounds, dirty, smelly, up the terrain, and he carries the sheep up back uh, to the house. It's interesting, you know, uh, John MacArthur talks about this um, and writes about this about sheep and the research he did that sheep, when they get afraid or lost, they literally lay down and stop moving. And literally they will lay there and die and not eat or drink. So you get a picture. Why does the shepherd carry the sheep? It's not because he wants to make sure you don't get lost again or you're too fast or um, because I love you so much. Or, no, it's, you can't even get up. The sheep can't move. And he says, because you can't move, I will carry you back through the terrain. And this is a picture of God and us. Um, we are unable to go to God and say, God, I figured it out. God, will you accept? No, God draws us to him. You know, uh, one verse that I just want to mention here, Romans 5, 6, it says this, that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak, it's not talking about physical weakness, it's talking about our spiritual weakness. The NIV translate that while we were still powerless, powerless to approach God, powerless to make our way to God. The New Living Translation, we were utterly helpless, we can do nothing. And God came and he picked us up and he saved us. It is R.C. Sproul who says this in his book, Chosen by God. People do not seek God. that They seek after the benefits that only God can give them. The sin of fallen man is this. Man seeks the benefits of God while at the same time fleeing from God himself. We are by nature fug- fugitives, right? And this theologian tells us this truth about our state. And what does the shepherd do? Thirdly, is he rejoices. Now, if you were a shepherd, you had to go out of your way, you had to carry this heavy animal back, and you are smelling really bad, you know, and you, you get. I don't know if you'd rejoice, I don't know. But it, this whole chapter is filled with people rejoicing. The shepherd rejoices because the one that was lost is found. The woman who had ten coins and loses one, she rejoices, she finds one. The father who had lost his younger son rejoices because the son comes to his senses and comes back. It's a picture of God rejoicing over the one who comes back to him. Leon Morris uh, writes in his commentary this. He says, the shepherd happily brings the sheep home on his shoulders. There is no grumbling about carrying the animal. The shepherd is rejoicing. The joy of finding his lost one overshadows all else. No complaining, no grumbling. He rejoices. And the only ones who were grumbling were the self-righteous. We, in our human nature, in our sinful nature, we are commanded you know, not to learn to have contentment. We are commanded not to compare what we have with others, not to covet the things of others. Sometimes we, and we all do this, we get more fed up with someone else's success. That bothers us more than what God is doing for us. It's interesting that God does this wonderful work and he allows us to come to him. It is uh, the famed theologian Kierkegaard who says the work of God, right, about the work of God. He says, God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure, but what he does, uh, but he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. So we say God created all this. This is this awe-inspiring, but more than that, Kierkegaard says, is that he made us into saints. He brought us back. And so what do we do with this? It is so much easier, the longer we've been in church sometimes, to react like the Pharisees, respond like the Pharisees, to have groups of people we already say, oh, I I can't hang out with them. I can't be seen with them. I look down upon them. This happens in junior high school. This happens in high school. Oh, those are the people I don't want to be around. Oh, those are the people that eat over there. I can't be seen with them. And that continues for the rest of our lives. And sometimes as we become mature, quote-unquote, Christians, we look down, oh, they'll never come. Those people, oh, they should never come. They'll never understand who God is. They're so difficult to love. They're so different from me. And we want to huddle with the 99. And we want to say, hey, well, 99 of us are just fine. Who cares about that one that is weird, lost, away? God does. And so I want to challenge us. Maybe we think like the Pharisees. And in our minds, maybe we'll never say it publicly, but maybe in our minds we say, oh, yeah, we just categorize people. We lump them all up. And that's what they did. They lumped them all up. Tax collectors, sinners. Sinners, are bad. They're lost, they're hopeless. Tax collectors are bad, they're hopeless. They didn't know any of them by name. They didn't stop and talk. They didn't realize that every soul matters. And so this year, i want to ask that we become more like Christ, not the Pharisees. Be more like Christ. I wanna encourage you to love someone way more than you did last year. And the someone I wanna encourage you to love is not the 99 that's within your circle. Oh, my family, uh, my best friends at school, those who are just similar to me, and yeah, I love these people, it's easy to love these people. They're lovable people. But I wanna challenge you to go love the one. Love the one that you will have to leave the 99 to go after. Love the one that is, will take some form of discomfort, some form of sacrifice. I've got to go out of my way. I've got to leave everyone behind. I have to go over there. And I've got to go and approach this person. And I want to encourage you to do this. You know, there's a story of uh, the late President Nixon, the infamous President Nixon, right, after the Watergate scandal. He had made a public appearance at uh, the former vice president's funeral, Hubert Humphrey's funeral. And when he had come, it was kind of everyone wanted to see how people would react. And he was kind of blackballed at the time. You did not want to be associated with him. And so literally, people were avoiding him, they say. And then in comes uh, the president at the time, Jimmy Carter. He walks into the room. He was from the other political party. One of the things about Jimmy Carter that we know is that he was a Christian man. Um, And uh, the reporters say this, that he once he saw him, Nixon, standing there, He instead of going to his seat, he made his way in front of everyone, walked over, and he shook hands with him. And he told him these words, Welcome home, Mr. President, welcome home. Newsweek magazine talked about that encounter, and it said this, If there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, it was at that moment, and that gesture of love and compassion. Walked across the room. I hope we as a church do not just congregate together, enjoy one another, and forget those who are on the outside. I hope we don't just huddle up with the safe people, with the lovable people. But when God sends you, junior hires to moms and dads and everyone here, when God sends someone, and you know, tomorrow you're going to go back to school, you're going to go back to work, and you know, that person might be eating lunch by themselves or being alone, or you know, you want to kind of invite them to church, but they may not fit in, but who cares? And I would say that one person, and whoever comes through these doors, when they come through the doors and they show up to our church, we want to go after them with the love of God. And we want to say, hey, how are you doing? we want you to know Christ and we want to go and give our hand 2019 do all the things that's good for you work out save money and do all the things that's good for you but can you go love just that one person and i believe god is going to send someone your way someone at work is asking questions about your faith they know you're a christian someone at school um, you, keep make, you, know, you keep seeing them and you know you should go talk to them and God is prompting you God's Spirit is saying why don't you go talk to them why don't you invite them and can we go after the one and bring them and see the heavens rejoice over the one who comes to repentance we love God what matters is what brings him joy let's make that happen this year let's pray